This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Uh, For a little while this morning, I've got the title of the lesson is The Monotonous Journey to Success. You know, I, I do quite a bit of studying of successful people in all different industries, whether it's jobs or financially successful or athletes. There's a lot of different things that you can study about successful people, and they really all have one thing in common. And the thing that, that's in common is they're willing to endure the monotony required that it takes to be successful. And when you think about the word monotony, if you look up the definition, that means tedious repetition or routine. So think about monotony as doing something over and over and over and over again. And they're willing to endure that monotony that is required to be successful. One example that we'll look at is this man, which is Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant was an NBA player, is one of the most successful NBA players of all time. You can see the national championship trophies that he has there in front of him. A lot of times we'll look at at someone like this, a professional athlete that's at at the, the peak of their success, We'll look at them and we'll look at all that success. We'll look at everything that they've done in order to get there. But sometimes we fail to realize the hard work that it requires day in and day out to get there. If you really look into Kobe Bryant and you look at his journey, he's reported to to be known as one of the hardest workers that there ever was in the NBA. And it's even said that in the offseason, when he wasn't playing, During the offseason, when most athletes were resting or they were just kind of recouping, getting ready for the next season, he'd be practicing day in and day out and and making up to 1,000 shots a day. Think about 1,000 shots a day that he made. That doesn't count the ones that he missed. So when you think about that, in my opinion, would be very monotonous. That is very much of a tedious repetition, just going over and over and over. And yet he did it. So when you look at that success that it takes, it it really takes this repetitive nature in order to make improvement. Now, you may be asking, well, what does this have to do with being a Christian? Or what's the spiritual application with that? Well, the spiritual application is, I would hope that each one in, in this room would want to be successful spiritually. We would want to grow and we'd want to, to do what it takes in order to be successful. And sometimes it's just quite honestly hard to stay diligent to do the work. Sometimes we lose our zeal. Sometimes we might fall into what we would consider a rut. That it just, it's hard. You know, when you first became a Christian, you probably had this feeling of great excitement and enthusiasm and being very zealous to do the Lord's work, that you're going to study all the time, you're going to pray all the time, you're going to go tell everybody that you can about the gospel. And you have a lot of zeal, a lot of fire behind that. Sometimes that feeling kind of wears off, doesn't it? And that's really when the rubber meets the road. Are you really willing to just bear down and do the work when you don't feel like doing it? Are you willing to go through the rut that it takes and do that monotonous journey so that you can be successful spiritually? You know, we all have our ebbs and flows. There's times of good, there's times of bad. There's times where we're really zealous and we're really getting after it and doing the Lord's work. And then there's times where just quite frankly, we're not. We get distracted. We have other things go on. We just don't feel like doing it. We all have these ebbs and flows, and I want, to, I want to be the first to tell you that growth as a Christian is not flashy. It's not some glamorous thing that you're going to see and, and see this miraculous growth as Christians. But what it is, is it's slow, steady, 
and diligent work that takes effort and endurance. It's over and over and over. And then you'll wake up one day and you'll look back and you'll say, man, I've grown a lot. But it's putting in all that work that it takes. So for a little while, I want to talk about what causes these ruts, what causes the ebbs and flows, and how we can get out of them so we can continue our growth as a Christian. So the first thing we're going to look at is the importance of being consistent. You know, we know that God wants us to be consistent in our journey with Him. He wants us to be constantly growing. And we have some great examples. There's plenty of examples we can look at. And one example we're going to look at is the nation of Israel. When you look back at the nation of Israel all throughout the Old Testament, you can see plenty of times when they were really zealous and they would follow after God. Like, for instance, when Moses gave them the law at Mount Sinai, and they were willing to follow after that. And they said, Moses, whatever you tell us that God said, we're going to follow it. We're going to do exactly that. And it wasn't up very long after where they didn't follow it anymore. That happened over and over and over again. We're going to look at one example of that happening in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 16 through 18. Beginning in verse 16, it says, And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, and made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven, and served Baal. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire and used divinations and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. And there was none left but the tribe of Judah only. So here's just one of many examples that we have of Israel where they turned and they didn't follow after God. They chased something that's shiny. There was this shiny object that they would chase, and they started following after that. So they made these molten images and these other gods, and they started following. Instead of just being consistent, instead of doing what they were supposed to do, what God wanted them to do, what was God's reaction? Well, it's in verse 18. The Lord was very angry with them. So I want you to get this picture in your head. When we're like Israel, and we start chasing other gods, and we start allowing distractions to get us off course, the Lord may be very angry with us too. Now we have another example from a positive side. So on the flip side, we have a man by the name of Paul. Now all of you know about Paul, and you all remember his story that before he was Paul, he was named Saul of Tarsus. When he was Saul, he was very, very high up in the Jews' religion, even so much that he would persecute the church. He would go out and, and be a part of killing of Christians, and he'd uh, throw them in jail. But when Paul had his conversion experience, when he met uh, Jesus on the road to Damascus, and then he started following after the Lord, from that day forward, we never see anything where Paul wavered. All we see is that his eagerness and enthusiasm and his work just continued to grow and grow and grow, even through all the hard times. He just stayed true. And in fact, Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 through 8, says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all of them also that love his appearing. So I want you to take this side-by-side -side comparison. You have the, the nation of Israel going back and forth. They've got these ebbs and flows. Sometimes they follow God, sometimes they follow who knows what. And then you have Paul, just steady. Just constant growth, constant struggle, just always doing what he needs to be doing. The one hand on Israel, we saw that the Lord was very angry with him. The other hand with Paul, what does it say happens? It says that the Lord's going to give him his crown of righteousness. So we have a choice to make. We can either follow after Israel 
and we can get distracted and we can get into these ruts and not get ourselves out of it. Or we can follow after Paul and just use that constant growth. Be willing to endure the monotony that's required in order to be successful. Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, verse 13, But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. When you think about being enduring to the end, we need to realize that our growth as a Christian, this is, it's a marathon and it's not a sprint. Think about that word endure. We've all heard about someone that has a high endurance. What does that mean? That they can go longer than most other people if they have a high endurance. If you think about running a marathon, it's 26 miles. That takes a lot of endurance. I'll tell you, I couldn't do that today. But it's, it's, that's what it takes in order to be a Christian, is we have to be willing to have that spiritual endurance. And Jesus tells us we must be able to endure to the end, and we will be saved when that happens. Paul also wrote to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, it says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So here we have a contrast here that Paul lays out. At first, he talks about being no more children. When you think about children, they get distracted easily. At one minute, they're on one thing. The next minute, they're on another thing. They're just going back and forth all the different time. That's just the way it is, right? They don't have the maturity required in order to stay focused on one thing for a long period of time. And Paul's telling us to do not be like that. Don't be like children and go back and forth on all of these things. But instead, when you look at verse 15, here's the contrast. But instead, speak the truth in love and grow up into Him in all things. So instead, we need to be focusing on growing up into Christ in all things. And just stay focused. Stay true to your growth in Christ. And quit worrying about all the different stuff that's going on. So we now, we know and we can understand the need for being consistent as a Christian. So the next thing I want to look at is what are some things that tend to get us off track? We know we should be consistent, and yet there's always things that want to pull our attention away and get us off track. The first thing we're going to look at is when life is good. Sometimes when everything is going our way and it's just really nice, we get off track. And, and God uh, warned Israel of that in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 through 14. God said, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, and not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest, thou, when, lest when thou hast eaten and are full, and hast built goodly houses, and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You know, sometimes when we have life is going good, we just don't do what we need to be doing. I want you to ask yourself this question. When everything is going your way, and it's just all good, you don't have any problems, you don't have any struggles, do you pray as often as you do when things are not going your way? Sometimes that's pretty tough. Because we can be like Israel, like God warned us of. Sometimes we can forget the Lord our God. And we can forget all the great things that He's done for us. And instead, we need to be making sure we focus Him. Now, I want you to get this picture. God is our Father, and He desires to have a relationship with us. And a relationship is built upon communication. Imagine having a relationship with your children or with your parents. 
And your kids only come talk to you when they need something. They only come to you when they're in trouble and they just need a little bit of help in hand. And yet they never come to you when things are going good and thanking you for all the opportunities and all the blessings. Is that a really good relationship with your children? No. So we need to make sure when things are going really well that we don't forget the Lord our God. And that could be one of the biggest distractions that we have is just simply good times in life. The second thing that can get us off track is seeing others' perceived happiness. Now, I underline perceived there, and I really want to make sure you get this. Perceived happiness does not always mean real happiness. You know, we live in this world where, where we see a lot of snapshots of other people, especially on social media. When you think about how social media is, everybody wants to look good and be right. That's human nature. We, we rarely want to show our flaws to other people, and yet we all have them. So since people want to look good and be right, that is what you will see on things like social media. You'll see out when you meet with people that they're always dressed up nice, they take care of themselves, they buy the nicest cars, all that kind of stuff, even when they can't afford them. So it's all about this perceived happiness. Now, when you really get down to it, all it is is a perception. You know, we see this, this happiness, and sometimes it's to a level where we want to copy them. We say, like, man, their life is just going so good, or they, they must be doing something right. I need to do what they want to do. And if I do what they do, then maybe I can have a good life too. But then when you really realize it, when you really look at their life, they're not that happy. There's plenty of studies that you can look out with, with a connection between uses of social media and depression and anxiety. The more people who use it, the more likely are they're depressed and have, and, and have anxiety. So it is all about a perceived happiness. We also see this funnel over into to different churches or especially different denominations where they will be doing extra things in their church that are, quite frankly, just unscriptural. And we'll see, like, man, that church looks fun. Man, they do a lot of stuff for their members, especially do a lot of stuff for their kids. It looks like a great time, but there's no depth. There's no real Christian growth. They, it's, a, it's all about entertainment, and yes, they have a good time, and you can have a good time doing that, but when you really get down to it, all it is is a perceived happiness, and there's really no spiritual growth there. You know, remember the Israelites, they, they experienced this as well. If you'll remember, the history of the Israelites is that God had institute, instituted that they would have a hierarchy of judges in order to govern them so that they would follow after the law. But all the other nations around them that were not God's chosen people, they had kings. So if you remember in the book of Samuel, when Samuel was the prophet there, that the Israelites came and told Samuel, said, hey, we want a king. We want to be just like everybody else. And God warned them. It's like, well, if you're going to have a king, this is what's going to happen. He's going to take your sons to fight in his wars. He's going to take your daughters to be his wives. He's going to take all of your possessions just because he can. And you're going to allow him to do all that because you're going to make him king. So he warned them, you don't, you don't want to have a king, and yet they still wanted to have a king. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 19 and 20 says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also might be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Why did they want a king? Because all the other nations had a king. Was that really the right way to go? God warned him what would happen, what, what did happen. 
you had the first king of Israel with Saul, and he went out, he started fighting his battles. Well, who's going to fight his battles? Their sons. Who's going to be their wives? Their daughters. So it happened exactly like what God said would happen, and yet they still wanted a king because everybody else had a king. So sometimes we have to be careful of that we're not making sure this perceived happiness of other people, we think everything is going well, and we think that they're having a better time than we are, and we want to follow after that. Sometimes that can be one of the biggest distractions that we have. Number three, things that get us off track, worldly lust. You know, we, we know what worldly lust are. It's sin. It's different things that pull us back into the world. We have an example of this with the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, reading verse 7, this is Jesus teaching. He said, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. This is, of course, the, the, when Jesus was talking about the parable of the sower, that the sower would go sow seed, and it fell upon four different kinds of ground. And one of the grounds it fell upon, it sprung up, and it did well, and then the thorns came up and choked it out. Well, who is that talking about? Verse 18 and 19 says, And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the world and it becometh unfruitful. We know what's going to happen. We know that there's going to be some people and that Jesus taught us that they'll spring up and they'll do good for a little while. They'll have that enthusiasm. They'll have that zeal needed in order to be a Christian. And they allow the cares of this world to choke them out. So when they get in that rut, they don't find a way to get back out of it. They just let the, the cares of the world take them away. Number four, things that get us off track is simply challenges of life. We talked about when good times, when we have good times, that it can get us off track. Well, also, if, if life gets too hard, sometimes that can get us off track. You know, we've all heard someone question why God would cause such bad problems to happen, though, even to the point of blaming God for their struggles. We've all heard people say that. We've all heard people say like, well, if God is such a loving God, then why did He cause this? Or why did He allow this? So sometimes we have these challenges of life that can get us off track. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, it says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happeneth to them all. What's, what's he talking about? In the book of Ecclesiastes, what he's saying is that, you know, sometimes things just don't make sense. Sometimes things happen, and it's quite simply just time and chance. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. That doesn't mean God caused it. That doesn't mean God allowed it. That doesn't mean that they deserved it. Sometimes... Time and chance happens to everybody. Bad things just simply happen to good people. Now, there's other times that, quite frankly, we cause our own problems. And then we may, may blame God for that. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3, this is the ESV version, says, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Think about that. It's a man's own folly. It's his own deeds. It's his own doings that takes his way to ruin. It causes all these problems. It causes all these heartaches in his life. And yet, he gets mad at God. Why? Well, sometimes that's a little bit of human nature. We have to blame somebody. 
Instead of taking ownership for our own actions and our own responsibilities, we want to put the blame on somebody else. Sometimes that blame goes to God. So sometimes that can be one of the biggest distractions that we have is when things are hard. Instead of turning to God as our Savior and as our refuge, instead of following after Him like what He wants us to do, instead we blame Him. So you may be thinking this morning that some of these things we've talked about may have gotten you off track recently. Maybe your life is good and you haven't been following after it. Maybe you've been seeing others' perceived happiness and you want to follow after what they do so you can have that quote-unquote happiness as well. Maybe you're just facing real struggles in your life and it's just getting you to cause off course. So you might actually be sitting here this morning in a rut and not doing the things that you need to be doing. So the next thing I want to look at is how do we get back on track? If we're in that rut, how do we get out of that rut and how do we make sure we're constantly moving forward and gaining that spiritual growth that we know we need to? Well, number one is reevaluate your goals. You know, we spend a lot of time and energy with goal setting. And whether that's in a formal matter, whether that's in an informal matter, we all set goals. A bunch of us probably just set New Year's resolutions. That's another word for a goal. We all set these things based upon our health. We're going to get more healthy. We're going to get to a certain weight or we're going to build up our endurance. Or maybe it's financial. We're going to get out of debt or we're going to have so much in savings or we're going to buy a new house. We set all these goals and yet, do we ever set spiritual goals? Do we ever think about where I want to be next year spiritually? How do I want to see my life grow as a Christian? Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. I want you to think about when you're goal setting, Think about your spiritual goal is the most important goal that you could possibly have. Everything else is temporary. We know that. So when we think about goal setting, maybe we need to get back on track and reevaluate our goals. What do we need to do in order to grow spiritually? Number two is we need to measure our growth. So how do you measure your growth? Well, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14, it says, For when... For, for when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need of that one teacher again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The writer of Hebrews here is telling us that we should be go- growing as Christians. And he's specifically telling them, said, it's time that you should be teaching. But you can't teach because you're just babes in Christ. You can't understand the harder things. So how to measure your growth? Are you able to study and dig into deeper issues now than you previously could before? Can you do that? Or are you at the same level? Can you teach or can you talk about things with more understanding than you previously could? Think about are you actually growing as a Christian? If not, might need to go back to the first one and reevaluate our goals. So let's look at how we can grow. Number three, have peer accountability. We've all heard this peer accountability. We know what it means. But in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, 
Restore such an one to a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You know, we use this verse a lot, and we look at it about helping other people overcome their faults and what a great thing that is. Let's talk about it from a little bit different aspect. What if you're the person that is overtaken in a fault? What if you are that person? If you are overtaken in a fault, and yet you don't get around some of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that nobody can recognize it, Nobody can find it. Nobody can help you with it. Then maybe you're going to be stuck in that fault. So peer accountability is a real thing, and it really will help you. You know, I know I've mentioned this multiple times in lessons before, but we've all heard that we will be the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. So think about who you're spending time with. If you want to grow, around, grow as a Christian, then you might need to increase those top five people you're spending time with so that you can grow and be closer like them. Also, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we need to be looking at how we can provoke unto love and to good works everybody else. Maybe you need to be the one that needs the provoking. If you need the provoking to, to love and to good works, then you need to get around your Christian family. And that can help you get back on track. So number four is how to get back on track is have others depend upon you. You know, if you're like me, we tend to let ourselves down much easier than we would ever let anybody else down. If someone is counting upon us to do something, we'll show up and figure out how to get it done. And yet if it's just for us and our own benefit, eh, we can do that tomorrow. We can do that next week. But we tend to let ourselves down really easily than letting other people down. So instead, let's find a way where other people depend upon you. Find a way that, that maybe you lead studies. Maybe you host people in your home to get just have dinner with them. But they're depending upon you to show up and be that good brother or sister to them. Paul wrote about this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 through 26. This is Paul when he's getting close to the end of his life. And he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart, and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you, all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. What Paul is writing about is if he had his choice, he'd rather just go be with Christ. Let's just end all this right here, right now, and let's go be with Christ. That's way better. But it's not his choice. And what he knows is that other people depend upon him. So instead... To abide in the flesh is more needful for those that he's writing to. So others depend upon him. So since, since others depend upon him, then he said, I shall abide and continue with you so that you can grow and so that you can be helpful. That's one thing that kept Paul on track is that other people depended upon him. And other people depend upon you too, whether you realize it or not. And sometimes we just need to look up and realize that there's a lot of people dependent upon you. They depend upon you to show up, to be a good role model, to be a good Christian, 
and to help out when needed. And that can help us get back on track. Number five, how to get back on track is practice habit stacking. So what is habit stacking? Well, think about a habit that you already do. Think about something you already do on a consistent basis. Think about that maybe you drive to work every day. Well, let's attach a habit to that. Let's attach something spiritual that we can grow with that. You're already going to be driving. So now when you're driving to work, what if we listen to a lesson? Or what if we listen to some spiritual songs? Or maybe we just flat out listen to the Bible while we're driving. That 15 to 20 minute drive, that could be something that helps get, back you, on, get you back on track. You know, a lot of times what I see a lot of people doing is they'll pray before meals. And I think that's a really good thing to do. I've been looking a lot, and I haven't found anything in the Scripture where it commands us to pray before every time we have a meal. Now, I'm not telling you not to pray, but I think the point is that we're going to be eating. That's a habit, probably three times a day that we take a meal. And if we pray for every meal, well, that's what we call habit stacking. You stack a habit with what you're already doing. So that's just a really easy way to help get, get you back on track. If you need to pray, you need to study, you need to sing songs, maybe you need to reach out to your fellow brothers and sisters and check on them. Whatever you need to do, practice habit stacking to help get you back on track. So when we do this, when we get back on track, we also want to think about what is the reward that we get when we, when we endure. You know, we already talked about Jesus said that he who endures to the end shall be saved. Well, what do we get? If we're really going to put in all this work and effort, and make sure that we fight when we get in these ruts to get back on track. Well, the first thing is we're going to get this crown of life. We read this earlier in 2 Timothy 4 where Paul was saying that he's fought the good fight, he's finished his course, and he's kept the faith. So henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul tells us that when we endure to the end, when we keep the faith, when we finish our course, that we will also get that crown of righteousness. We'll also get that crown of life and have eternal life with Him forever. So that's the first thing we get as a reward for enduring. Well, what's another thing we get? How about we're renewed with our lost loved ones? Every one of us has lost loved ones. We have family members, we have friends that's gone on before us. And, you know, we talk about a lot that you know, they're in heaven, and we want to go see them again someday. We want to be reunited with our lost loved ones. We have an example of this where actually David, when he was king, so David was king at the time, if you'll remember that he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and what was the punishment for him committing adultery with Bathsheba? Well, the son that Bathsheba had was going to die. And it was, I think the son was about seven, eight years old at the time. So the son was, got very sick and the son was going to die. Before that, David was weeping, he was fasting, he was mourning, he was praying, he was doing whatever he could to hopefully get God to change his mind and to remove that punishment from him. But that didn't happen. And the child still died. And it was the punishment that David had earned. But look at David's response. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. This is David. And he says, But now he is dead. Wherefore shall I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. This is an indication to show us that our lost loved ones who have gone on before us, and that if they were Christians and they followed the way and they're in heaven, we have an opportunity to go see them again. They're not going to come back. 
David said they're not coming back to us, and yet we have the opportunity where we can go see them. If we endure, if we keep growing, if we make sure we stick to the faith. Number three, the reward we get for enduring is we get an easier life now. Now, I'm not going to say you're not going to have any challenges and you're not going to have any problems, but it will be easier for us to endure it when we are sticking to the faith. You know, I heard a, a quote a while back, and I thought it was a really good quote, and it said, do the things that are hard and your life will be easy. When you do the things that are easy, your life will be hard. And what's that really talking about? It's talking about daily discipline. When you get up and you do the things that you need to be doing that, quite frankly, are not always easy to do day in and day out, but if you keep doing it, then over time, your life will be easy. But if you take the lazy way and you take the easy way out and you do the things that are easy, your life is just going to get harder and harder and harder. So it's about daily discipline. Our growth in faith reminds us of the hope that we have in Christ. As we're continually growing in Him, we're continually studying, we're coming to church services, we're meeting with our brothers and sisters. It reminds us of that hope that we have in Christ. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it says, "...which hope we have as an anchor of the soul." both sure and steadfast, and which entereth in into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. When you look at this, the hope that we have, this is that anchor that we have. So the deal is, when you have those hard times, when you have those struggles, well, you have that hope, and it's a little bit easier to get through it than if you didn't have that hope. And quite frankly... I could not imagine facing the challenges of this world that we have to face without the hope that we have in Christ. Could you imagine just thinking that your whole mindset is this is the best it ever gets? That would be miserable. That to me would cause a lot of depression and anxiety. That would cause a lot of heartache if I really believe this is the best it ever gets. But yet we know that this is not the best it ever gets. And in fact, this is the worst it ever gets for the Christians that stay faithful to the end. So we have this hope that helps pulls us through all these hard times. And number four, the reward we get is stability. And I think everybody in here and everybody in the world, they would say they want stability. They don't like to be chasing things all the time or get tossed to and fro. They like to be stable. They like to be grounded. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, Paul writes, says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. And cast down, but not destroyed. Even when the hard times come, we have the stability that God is always on our side. And He will never leave us or forsake us. So we have this stability in our life. And also Psalms chapter 62, verse 2, it says, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. We know that God is always with us and He will never let us be moved. And when you look up that word moved, it means to be carried away. So He's not going to let us be carried away. He will be our rock. He'll be that stability that we all want in our life. So I want you to think back for a little bit when you first became a Christian. Think about the promises that you may have made God, that you were going to study more, that you were going to spread His gospel, that you were going to pray all the time, that you were never going to miss a church service, you are never going to miss a Bible study. Think about some of these 
these promises that may have gone through your head. You know, I know we all consider ourselves to be people of integrity. And I heard this definition of integrity, and I think it's spot on. Integrity is doing what you said you would do when you don't feel the way you felt when you said you were going to do it. Let me say that again. Integrity is doing what you said you would do when you don't feel the way you felt when you said you were going to do it. So if you're in that rut this morning, are you really going to be that person of integrity and still do what you said you were going to do even if you don't feel like it? We all have these ebbs and flows. We all have times where it's easier. We all have times where it's harder. We all have times where, quite frankly, we just don't feel like doing it. Are you still going to do it anyways? That's what God wants us. So we talked about this morning about the monotonous journey to success. And sometimes it can feel monotonous. It can feel like this repetitive nature over and over and over until it doesn't. If you keep, keep doing it, just keep going and keep going and keep going, you'll look back and you'll see that you have grown tremendously as a Christian. And not only you, but you've helped other people around you grow tremendously as a Christian. If you keep going. And that's the whole point. You have to keep going. Your Christian walk is a marathon. It's not a sprint. We have to remember that when we face these times of a rut, to use the tools that God has given us to keep moving forward. Lean on your brothers and sisters if you need some help. Find that peer accountability. Find up people that are dependent upon you and show up for them. Look at how you can continue to grow. And always keep in mind that God does not expect us to be perfect because He knows we can never be perfect. And yet, He always expects us to be making progress. So what does progress look like for you? What's that next step that you need to take? Where's that area in your spiritual journey that you just need to improve a little? And think about that. If we can help you to take that next step as a church, and we can be the brothers and sisters that we intend to be for you to help you grow, to make sure that if you're in a rut this morning, we can help get you out of that rut. But you've got to be the one willing to put in the work. If you're ready to put in that work and you're ready to continue to grow and you need a little bit of help from the church, then let us know. Or maybe you haven't started that Christian walk yet. Maybe you haven't experienced the rut because all you've ever been in is a rut and you've never grown in Christ because you've never given your life to Christ. If you're ready to give your life to Christ and be baptized in the helm and start that journey, or you need the prayers of the church and the help any way that we can, all we ask is let your request be made known. Come have a seat on the front pew when we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.